0: Tyler Cipolla does experiments that some people would call crazy. Tyler Cipolla, whom I've interviewed before, is on FIRE. FIRE is F-I-R-E, which is the plan known as Financial Independence Retire Early. And this brilliant 27-year-old man is also super fit and has completed an Iron Man a double major, and he's a brilliant negotiator. And aside from all that, he also does experiments on himself. Now, I've already interviewed Tyler about fire, but today we're going to discuss something wild, these experiments, which some people think are just frankly nuts. Hey, Tyler. And just to be clear, there's not body mutilations, <laughs> <laughs> not that type of experimenting. <laughs> I give you three years. Okay, so let's discuss your experiments. Uh, just, I don't know, give me kind of a laundry list of a few of them.
1: Well, I've done uh, probably the most notable this is a couple of years without a, a car, one year fully without a vehicle other than a bicycle. Um, I've lived with a lot of roommates and built a three or a triple bunk bed to accommodate those men, and uh, just to save money. I've uh, learned some new skills, such as I got a CDL for bus driving, um, learned how to tune pianos. Um, i have gone, uh, I've done some extended fasting. I think those are the ones that are typically brought up with uh, my experimenting. But I don't view them as like being too outrageous, just because I guess I've lived through it and seen that it isn't as bad as I thought it'd be.
0: So. I know. Well, I'll tell you what, it doesn't seem all that nuts in retrospect, but when a person doesn't eat for five days, mm-hmm. and there's absolutely nobody else in our community of thousand people at our school who has ever pulled that off. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty amazing thing.
1: Yep.
0: And uh, then there's the (laughs) Ironman, which I know several people who've done an Ironman. I used to run a marathon, and people thought that I was nuts for running a marathon. That's only 26.2 miles. Mm -hmm. The Ironman is what, 140.6 miles of your body being in constant motion. Mm
1: -hmm. I think
0: that's what it is. Yeah. So people Mm -hmm. think that's nuts, and then you sold your car, and uh, bicycled eight miles to work one way mm-hmm. every single day for, what was it, a year and a half?
1: Yeah, I think it's something like that.
0: Okay, yep. and see, so people thought that was nuts too. Mm-hmm. See, but you're living inside of your own mind where mm-hmm. things look normal, mm-hmm. you know, but to other people, this looks like a funhouse mirror.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think
1: <clears throat> I think I have also been in that situation of viewing these things as being kind of outrageous, like the, the giving up the car, it was. It was only because I was provoked by someone else doing something like it, and I. I told myself the same thing, um, which I think is pretty common to do. Like, oh, there's no way I could do that, or, like, I think I, I see a lot of other people. Like, when it comes to physical fitness, they say the same thing. Like, oh, I could never. I could never lift that much weight, or I could never look like that, or. Um, I mean, so many things. Like, I think. I'll, people often take like a perspective like oh you're just that you're just naturally that person who has an ability to do such a thing Um, but I I think I've grown to see that like it's actually not the case like most people I don't I don't know if there's anybody who's like has that natural ability to to, to just be able to do it without working at whatever it is like if something is worthwhile like it takes a lot of time and it takes some takes some effort takes discipline so yeah the, the the Riding a bike to work. Originally, it was Mr. Money Mustache who lives out in California, Colorado. He initially just proposed the idea to his audience that you should do 90% of your commuting on bicycle. And I was like, No, I couldn't do that. <laughs> like I live in the Midwest, and nobody, like nobody in the in like Kansas City, just commutes on bicycle alone. You know, maybe a handful of people, but. I have an eight-mile commute to work, and I don't know, just, I couldn't do it. But then I really, like, really like, let myself think about it for maybe a, like a, a week or so, and I was like, you know what, like, I, it's not too far of a distance to get to work. It, it is eight miles, but I also am training for an Ironman, um, so it might be worth my time to do such a thing. Um, and then I started thinking, like, a grocery store is actually across the street, so that's convenient, and the, the church that I go to is right down the street as well, and I can walk to it. Um, and I have roommates that go to the sim- like similar places that I go to so it I don't know just kind of all started falling into place like what what I once thought was an impossibility actually became much more feasible and then my parents suggested to me they're like well before you actually give up your car <laughs> before you make a major decision of selling your car why don't you just like try it out for at least a week and see if you could do it and yeah after a week I was like well I think I'll do it and if I if this is torture and then i can just buy a a different car you know after selling my my chevy
2: so
0: i think there's just so many mental habits that you've packed into such a short explanation that they're just worth unpacking Mm -hmm. one of which is people think if i make this decision this is just absolutely final Mm -hmm. you know if i sell a car well then that's final Mm -hmm. and i will never have a car again yeah I, i don't think they think it through quite that far, but I just feel like emotionally, maybe this is what they're thinking. Mm -hmm. They don't really realize, well, if this doesn't work out, then a week from now, two weeks from now, I'll just buy another car.
2: Right.
0: I'll just get out of it. And then a second thing is, if you say, hey, live without a car, people's initial thought is, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. They don't ask the question, which you did, how could I do that? Mm -hmm. Because if you start asking things like, well, how can I do that? Then answers start suggesting themselves. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm training for a race. The grocery store's across the street. I'm living with friends in case it's negative 20 degrees out. Of course, if it's negative 20 degrees out, we won't have school in the first place. Mm-hmm. So if you just ask yourself, how can I do this? Mm-hmm. Do you just sort of naturally do that? Um, yeah, I think
1: I've grown better at this. I guess I, I consider it kind of a technique of just scrutinizing your, your everyday lifestyle, you know. Um, I I really do, like, I don't know if it's the philosophical side of me, or um, I guess I just realized that, like, a good life really does take a lot of self-reflection, a lot of um, self-scrutiny of, like, kind of challenging your first, your first idea, like, my first idea in that bicycle thing was, like, (laughs) there's no way that I could do that. Uh, but after thinking about it and really scrutinizing my initial conception of of the of the feat, um, I started to realize, well, no, it actually is possible. And like you said, I think you made a good point. Like, if you actually start doing the thing and and, and you realize that this is a bigger thing than you thought, then I think you have to scrutinize your your decision to do it and, and say, is it is it worth it or not? And uh, should I keep doing this? is it is it causing me better, a better lifestyle, or more well-being, or is it less, you know? So, yeah, I think it is, like, it's a skill to, like, constantly scrutinize your decision and being able to see, like, what is the best, the best choice, you know?
2: Well,
0: it used to be called critical thinking, right. and yeah. when I started teaching college classes, that's what we were supposed to have people do in right. an English class. If people were going to write an essay on a given topic... If it were a controversial topic, we wanted people to look at two sides to the issue or three sides to the issue or four sides to the issue. And people wonder, well, how can you have two sides to an issue? I'm right. Mm -hmm. And then other people say, well, I can get out of there. can be two sides to an issue because I'm right and those other people are idiots. Mm -hmm. But then you say three sides. Well, what about a case like a child custody case? Who should get the child? Should it be the mom? Should it be the dad? What if they're both unfit? maybe it should be the grandparents mm-hmm. maybe it should be the uh, older sister maybe the child should be emancipated mm-hmm. do you, do you find yourself kind of churning through options right. yeah there's so many
1: options there's so many different variables too in every single decision it's yeah sometimes it can be exhausting thinking through of all, all the 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 scenarios but yeah you have to you have to scrutinize and continue to examine what's the best the best approach and it takes a lot of. I think it takes a lot of humility to, um, to constantly do such a thing, but also it takes a recognition that you're capable of a lot more than you you initially think. And I think like I see it in my students too. Like when I tell them certain things, or when the, we talk about like heroic and virtuous people, like I think they often get the this, the sense that like, oh, I could never do that. That's cool, but I couldn't do that. But I think that's a, again just what I thought of myself. Um, maybe just five or six years ago with a lot of things like oh that'd be so cool to do such a such a feat but I couldn't do that even like with the Ironman which I think um we we could talk about that later too but like initially when I started training for the Ironman I I could swim for about 25 seconds and I was like there's (laughs) it's cool but like I could never do even like a short triathlon let alone an Ironman which is swimming for like an hour um I just like, in my mind, I was like, I'm not that person. I don't have the natural ability. But then I had to remember that there's other things in my life where I've discovered that like, yeah, maybe I don't have that ability yet, but, but with time, with practice, through discipline, like I might be able to do such a thing. Um, And I think I've uncovered that in my own life, like kind of giving myself more freedom to dream that have, I have greater abilities than I once thought and. It's pretty amazing once you like you believe in yourself, and um, there's a lot you could do with with uh, with discipline and with uh, just habituation, just continuing to go at something and learning about uh, like learning about different skills and or learning about how to do some type of physical activity. It's pretty phenomenal. It's like wow, there's there's quite a world of opportunities here, and I can I can do a lot more than I ever thought I could.
0: Well, let me ask about how systematized you are mm-hmm. about things through the lens of the Ironman. Mm-hmm. So you start and you can swim 25 seconds, but, but in an Ironman, isn't it 2.4-mile swim? Yeah, it's a long swim. Which you said is an hour?
1: Yeah, give or take an hour.
0: So yeah. you went from 25 seconds to an hour. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do you do that? Do you have somebody chase you? <laughs> yeah. Well, I had to
1: really own my lack of abilities in the water and, and for someone who hasn't been swimming for a while like you just get the sensation that you're drowning like that's what I felt like initially when I started training a little bit I just like I, I couldn't breathe properly so I could get the water coming into your mouth and your nose and then you get it in your ears too and you it's just start like getting water everywhere you don't want to and then you have the sensation that you're, you're losing oxygen and it's just not fun um so that's what I felt like initially, I couldn't, I couldn't breathe, um, so I, yeah, I had to, I had to talk to a few people, I hired a coach for a little while, um, just to give me some pointers, I did some online classes, um, and, yeah, just, I had to really, like, learn the technique to swimming, and little by little, I think I swam every day for, like, about a year, um, so it took, it took a quite long time, I was going down to the Y every day after school, and, swimming not for very long but just enough to like continue working on the stroke it might have been like 15 minutes to 20 minutes a day um yeah but little by little I became comfortable with it to the point where like I was just going to the lake and at the end swimming for like an hour and it's just it was so liberating to finally be able to like enjoy the thing that I dreaded initially
0: when you swam in the lake, did you worry about dying? <laughs> <laughs> I did have a little buoy
1: thing that I strapped around my waist. It's it's a pretty cool contraption. It's just like a, a belt that has like an inflatable buoy thing. So it's like, I don't know, it's pretty like frequent that a person could get cramps in their calf muscles or somewhere in their body and, and uh, need to take a break from, from swimming. So like you can just grab a hold of that, but... Yeah, it is, it's, it's a good idea to have something like that with you so that people could see you as well. If there's any any boats in the area, um, I don't know. I've never thought about like, am I gonna die? <laughs> drown? I don't think I would do it if I thought that. <laughs> but um, yeah, there was a point where I thought that there's no way that I could do such a thing.
0: So it took you a year mm-hmm. to get the swim down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you st- when. Did you say, oh, I'm going to train for an Ironman? Was it in the middle of this process, or was it before this process even started?
1: Yeah, my initial goal was actually to do a half Ironman. Um, so I, I, I didn't actually do any type of triathlon until the half Ironman. And most people are like, dude, you're crazy. You don't, <laughs> you don't start with a half Ironman, because that in itself is like a, like a six-hour race.
0: Right. Yeah, um, uh, 56 something no 70.3 yeah 70.3 miles 70.3 so yeah 1.2
1: miles swim um plus all the like the 50 I mean
0: I'm, 55 on the bike 56 on the bike yeah, 56 on the 13.1 mile right. run right. right at the end of it mm-hmm.
1: right so that's what i was training for initially i was like this is this would be really cool to to like having never done any type of endurance like sports before i mean i played soccer i played basketball and i did some like sprinting and jumping and in track but um i i think that was like the lure for me it's like i've never done something like this mm. um, i i think i was i was starting to get into that mindset of like you're you're more capable of things that you never thought you were capable of, for, of, of doing so i was like well i've never done endurance sports before like let's try it you know because I, I was also out of High school and out of like a competitive um, environment, so I think I wanted some type of uh, competition. Like, here's a big goal, and let's see if I can actually um, achieve achieve this big goal. You know, so I, that's why I picked the half Ironman, even though people were telling me to start with something smaller. So, uh, yeah, well, I started going for it.
0: When you got into it, did you know that it was going to be a year?
1: No, um, but I think I was, I was. Um, Honest with myself that I needed a, I needed a lot of work, so I think I gave myself about a year, and that was like through the fall and this, this, the the winter I was swimming indoors, um, but yeah I, I tried to get a few friends to do with me. I had I had one friend who was training with me, but ended up dropping out um, just for health issues. But um, yeah, I kind of gave myself that spring and summer to train, and then the fall that the following. So that that'd be a whole year, that's when the the race was.
0: What do you think about the idea that we should all pick some sort of a physical endeavor like this that is challenging and that underscores your limits for yourself, When I started running marathons, I just very quickly figured out where all my weaknesses were. Mm-hmm. I, I ultimately ran a bunch of marathons, but before I ran that first one, I would get stuck around 10 miles. Mm-hmm. And I thought, how am I possibly going to run 26.2 miles if I can't run 10? And I had to do what you did. I had to seek out people who had done it. I had to look things up. I had to read books. I had to try different things uh, because I, I just hit this brick wall. Essentially and and I just think that's good. I just wish people would take like a yoga or a jiu-jitsu or weightlifting or just something where it points out your failures to you mm-hmm. and your weaknesses to you. Yeah no, so I'm, that
1: j- I'm totally a fan of, of that idea of, of picking some type of physical um, discipline whether that be like weightlifting or the triathlon or jiu-jitsu or uh, even running or w- walking I don't know even like yeah, just trying to get out there and walk more I think the reason why I'm a fan of it is because it really does force you to learn about yourself, and um, like I, I know some people have like a a thought of themselves as being like pure spirit, but the, the reality is is that we're we're bound by the material, you know. And what happens when you start like really diving into some type of physical activity is you learn a great deal about yourself. I know, like with the With the Ironman training, I learned, like, how my body interacts with food in such Mm -hmm. a, like, a new way that, like, I knew exactly, like, when, like, I should eat if I want to have, like, a a really focused mindset or even, like, if I want to run 10 miles, like, when's the best time to eat, what certain things, like, interact best with my digestive system. I mean, that was like, that was a, a huge epiphany of knowing, like, before that, I just thought like, it oh, doesn't really matter too much what I throw into my body, um, but that, like, really helped me understand myself much more and how I function best. Um, I think you grow in self-discipline, too, just, like, really, like, understanding your limitations, but then also, like, your ability to, to transcend, um, like, your prior conceptions of yourself there's just so much to learn when you like, when you set a goal, um, I even think like your sense of agency, like I've been kind of talking about, like, I love that word agency. Yes. Like it's so powerful to, to set a goal and start going at it and starting to see transformations happening, whether that be like physical transformations or just like your ability to like now do something that you couldn't do before. Like, there's a lot of power in that to see progress, and see that you are capable of affecting change, you know, like there's I know in my own life that was huge to see like like in one instance like I gave myself to this sort of discipline and now this is the result of it and like seeing the result is like wow this is so cool or even like building something like like taking a lot of time and in deliberation into like constructing a plan and then you build something and it's just so cool seeing the end result and you have this, this heightened sense of agency like, I, I'm actually like, capable of doing things in transformation and transformation and let's do more of it, you know? So I think, yeah, doing something physical is, is very rewarding because you see those physical transformations and it's just a, it's a wonderful experience.
0: Well, I I just think it would be so beneficial for people because we want people to get to be adults in society, which basically means self-sufficiency. And, you know, we don't want people to be children, which means dependence. And I guess maybe waiting for somebody else to do things for you. Uh, For a while, there were these words running around, like post-adolescence. And it was about 26-year-olds who were still living at home. Or uh, there was another one, uh, pre-adult which was for 25-year-olds living at home in their parents' basement, that kind of thing. And, you know, people can be in different circumstances, and I'm not trying to pick on people, but just picking a goal, like you're saying, something difficult, doing something hard, just it's such a life-affirming, optimistic thing. And I I just see that in you all the time because you're always on an even keel, and uh, you're always generous toward other people, and you're just a happy person, uh, and you're always doing something but you're also always reading a book. So I just, I feel like all of these good traits are coming out and, and they just, uh, they make a wonderful combination. So I just wanna give you some props for that. Thank
1: you, yeah. I think it definitely builds self-respect,
2: that's for sure.
0: Let me add one other question to this topic of the Ironman before we move on to something which I, I think a lot of people just are going to think is nuts. Um, do you feel when you get into something, for example, I don't know, either selling your car or doing an Ironman, that there are 5, 10, 15 hidden moving parts that you never knew were there until you actually get into it.
1: Mm, Like certain things, a part of the Ironman? Yeah, like like
0: I'll just give you an example. So I I was going to run a marathon, Mm -hmm. and I thought all this involves is running Mm
2: -hmm.
0: because I was stupid. Mm -hmm. I didn't really realize, oh, you know what? There might have to be some complementary weightlifting, and I certainly have to clean up my diet. And oh, it would be really important to get seven hours of sleep. Not only that, it should probably be the same seven hours of sleep, for example, from 11 until 6. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then I've got to think about how much water I'm drinking. There, I'm already up to about seven things right there. Yeah. There were more. There were like seven more. All of this kind of came as a surprise to me. I just listed off some of the obvious ones, but there were some non-obvious ones as well yeah I, I just kept discovering things that i didn't know were there yeah. i just thought this is simple you just go out there and run you just build up your endurance and then boom you've got a marathon yeah well that got me 10 miles yeah. that got me 10 miles and the inability to walk down a flight of stairs for three days after that first 10 mile run
1: mm-hmm. oh yeah i totally agree and i think like i mentioned before with the the food thing i had a thought about like it didn't <laughs> it didn't matter what i what i ate initially um I, th- I remember specifically, like, after a day of work, this is in the summertime, in my college years, I, I was, like, thinking to myself, all right, I'm going to go for a longer run than I'm used to, and I need my energy, I need to eat something, so I seriously thought that, like, it would be okay for me to have a slice of pizza and drink a glass of milk, <laughs> so, like, I had that before my my workout, my run, and... Now, like, I'm thinking in my head, like, that's, like, the absolute worst thing I could have done to prepare for a run.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, it sounds like the ancient Greeks, the bombatorium. <laughs> <laughs> it was, but, like,
1: thinking back to, like, who I was at that point, like, that wasn't an obvious thing to me. Like, I thought, like, running, you just have to, like, build up your lung capacity. Your, your, lung, your, your legs just have to get used to it as well. But that, yeah, that component of eating had, I didn't think it had much to do. Like, eating the right thing had much to do with with being able to run far. Uh, so, yeah, there was definitely that. Um, I think this is my, might be, like, a little bit unrelated, but I think it is related. Um, there was other things that uh, had to be kind of tightened up, too. Like, for example, if I wanted to do a half Ironman or eventually an Ironman later on, I really had to tighten up my... Um, my work schedule or even like my study schedule and that's one of the things i actually enjoy about kicking something so rigorous is because it makes me so much so much more disciplined in other areas of life like i really couldn't um slack off if i wanted to double major and do a half ironman at the same time like train for one Um, like it just it didn't leave any wiggle room to mess around and and to be, like, really devious on other, like, disordered in other parts of my life.
0: Right. It
1: just, like, it focused me to, like, really hone in on, like, other aspects and make sure that, like, in the time that I have before I really need to get to bed, like you're saying, like, you need to sleep, you need to eat right. Like, I needed to make sure I was also studying and also, like, um, fostering, like, my spiritual life, too, and getting that time for reflection. Uh, So, yeah, like... In one aspect it's it's difficult because it limits the amount of freedom you have to like goof off but that's actually like a good thing from my perspective like it just like really made me uh disciplined and saying like i don't have any time to really mess around so like right now i really have to study i really have to devote myself to this paper or this translation or whatever it might be um and yeah just like it made everything uh work so much better
0: that's what i found so I was running most of my marathons while I was teaching high school full-time and teaching two college classes at UMKC at the same time. Uh, my schedule just had to be a finely tuned machine. I cooked once a week. I ate the same thing every day. I slept the same hours every day. I just had to be very efficient about everything that I was doing. And I just remember being very happy mm-hmm. all of that time. My interactions with people were just filled with lots of jokes and humor and things like that and some deep conversations. and. That was just part of it. That was just Mm -hmm. part of it, and there's just no way around it. Yeah,
1: I totally agree. I think you feel so good at the end of a day where like you know that you did what you were supposed to do, you know? And not only did you accomplish a lot, but like perhaps like you devoted some time to seeing friends and being like really like attentive to them. Um, And like maybe when you gave yourself to spending some time in prayer and reflection, meditation, just like when you when you end the day knowing that like man I really worked my butt off like studying but also uh, spending some time like seeing friends and also like working my my butt off in the gym or on the street wherever I'm like training you know like when you've done everything like humanly well it's just it's, it feels so good when you hit the hit the bed and do you ready do to you, go to bed
0: do you find it also made you a lot more scheduled in terms of your recreation
1: like what type of recreation well
0: i'm just thinking if a person wanted to i don't know go dancing with friends or go camping with friends or go fishing with friends or just something um you basically have to be pretty scheduled about this you have to say well gosh tomorrow i've got a 20 mile bike ride or whatever it might be 20 mile run and uh gosh that has to start at eight in the morning because it's going to get hot over the rest of the day. So yeah, I could go out on Friday night, but on the other hand, I also have to be home by 10 o'clock so Mm -hmm. I can get some sleep. Did you find that it it sort of made you pick your shots a little bit more carefully when it came to recreation?
1: Yeah, I tend to be type A in general, just about like scheduling. I I tend to be like, this is my day, like like, scheduled out, segmented, you know. Um, But I I did allow for like a little bit of spontaneous, things to happen just more organically or maybe like for like it's for example on Friday or Saturday like making sure that like when my other friends are like still sleeping or whatever it might be like maybe I like turned in a little bit early and got my sleep and was able to wake up and and really go hard like training and then um also studying so that like when they are maybe ready to plan something then I'm like more capable of of Yeah, of of doing that. But, yeah, I think there were were definitely times when people were like, really, you have to go to bed (laughs) already? (laughs) Um, But, I don't know, I wasn't too apologetic about it. Like, I I had a goal, and um, it wasn't like I was neglecting. I don't think I was neglecting my friends. I was still hanging out, but I was turning in an earlier hour than most people were. and um, I I don't think I have... Any regrets on that?
0: I feel like this sort of lifestyle crowds out a lot of things that people don't really miss. Like for example, maybe it crowds out uh, that extra stupid Netflix show that people, you know, really don't want to watch all that much in the first place, but they're watching it because they don't have anything else to do. I think it crowds out a lot of social media, mm-hmm. uh, and I found it also crowded out a lot of junk food because I would really pay for it the next day. Yeah, uh, I used to have kind of a Red Baron's pizza and ice cream habit and so like i would eliminate those except for sunday night and so i would run 20 miles on a saturday take sunday off that evening had a red baron's pizza a bowl of ice cream maybe two beers monday i would run four miles those four miles were the worst most painful most slow i I just felt absolutely awful Mm -hmm. i just i just really struggled through those things and you know for a runner usually if you're just out for a run you really always enjoyed like 90 percent of it you just feel absolutely free. You're just flying down the road. Your feet never even touch the pavement. You have wings. It's just such a beautiful feeling. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was just awful. This was like somebody hit me in the face with a boat anchor and then attached it to my legs and then made me drag the damn thing around. Honestly, I would have preferred if somebody would have just sawed off my arm and beat me with it. You know. So eventually I gave up the pizza and the ice cream, and then mm-hmm. Monday wasn't such a wretched thing. Yeah, it's a so, good decision. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Didn't take thank long you. to figure that one out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so now I want to ask you about something that, okay, a lot of people have done this, but 90% of the people, maybe 99, just would think that this is just nuts. And it's and unhealthy. It's where you didn't eat for five days.
2: Mm.
0: How do you prepare for something like that? And uh, how do you justify that as a sane human?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think I, this is another thing that was turned on to by... A couple other podcasters. I think the biggest one is Tim Ferriss. He has this podcast, pretty like I think it's been one of the top podcasts on iTunes for a while. Uh, But yeah, he had a a couple of guests on. I mean, a lot of people have been, I think, getting into fasting recently. Whether that's like uh, time restricted eating, where you only eat for a certain many of hours, like maybe only eight hours of the day, you're allowing yourself to eat from like maybe eleven to seven or something like that. I know that's a pretty big thing right now, um, or like what I was doing the the, the extended fasting, or fast for a few days. And in my case, it was a five day fast. Um, and yeah, I think again, I thought initially like, whoa, I've never like skipped lunch before, you know. I like got I had done a few like a few times in in college where we'd fast maybe for like. Uh, fast from a particular item like obviously meat as Catholics or Chocolate or whatever it might be. There's occasions where we'd fast until um, like noon or three Uh, And I remember in college the first time someone proposed like fasting until three o'clock I was like, are you serious? We're not going to eat anything until three o'clock in the day? (laughs) Like that's nuts and I don't know if I can make it and so I, I remember telling the person who who, like, asked that we do this for some type of reparation. And I was like, I'll try, but I don't think I can do it. Like, I might have to, like, just go to maybe noon. Because it was a big deal for me. Like, it was, you always eat breakfast. It's a big, like, a decently big breakfast cereal and milk. And best that, part of the day. Our
0: most healthy meal of the day, right. what do they say?
1: That most important meal of the day, right? There you go. Um, and then, yeah, lunch, dinner, and snacking in between, all of it. So, yeah, it was very foreign to me to, to fast, but, but yeah, all these podcasters and scientists were talking about, like, the, the need for, like, the body to kind of um, detox, I guess, or, yeah, some, some people talk about it, like, an extended fast is the way that the body, like, is capable of kind of cleansing itself. Um, so, after hearing, like, many different people talk about it and, like, a lot of the research that's coming out on it, as as I guess more um willing to think about it and then they kinda gave like a schedule for like if you're interested, this is kinda like what what we do and um and they said like make sure like you, you're you're cautious too when you're doing this. Like if you witness signs of like feeling like lightheaded or like you're gonna pass out, like obviously like either talk to your doctor or just start eating again.
0: (laughs) It's a simple solution. Yeah, it's like the car thing. Only a little bit easier. Right. Like, oh, I'm not going to eat for 24 hours. But if you're just, I don't know, feeling like I'm so starved, I could chew through my arm. Mm -hmm. Well, then you could probably eat something. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And being the person I am, I, I often just go head first in things. So I think rather than doing like a 24 hour fast, I think I just did a a five-day fast.
0: <laughs> you jumped straight into five days. I think I did. How did you persuade yourself, this is medically sound? <laughs> well, I think seeing just uh, like a lot of other people do it.
1: And I know other people have done like seven-day fasts. And you have the, the crazy people like Gandhi doing like a 40-day fast. I think, right, like it, right, right, right.
0: 66, was, maybe? In Gandhi? I can't remember. Yeah, Jesus
1: himself. I know he's God, but... Yeah. <laughs> still human. Um But... Yeah, I think I just like seeing other people do it. I was like, well, if they can do it, then perhaps I can do it too. And so yeah, I did that, and I think really the the funny thing is the first day I think is the hardest mm. when your body is getting into that that state called ketosis and starting to burn its own uh, fat stores as energy. Um, that transition where your body is getting into ketosis is, I think, the hardest. But really, once it's once it's into ketosis, it's, it's Physically pretty easy, I thought. Uh, like, I was still riding my bike to school. I was still weightlifting, not like to the degree, like, I wasn't deadlifting 300 pounds, but I was still deadlifting. And um, I was still doing pretty much my normal thing. Um, that first day was the hardest. And then after that, I felt just fine. The only hard part I thought was just the psychological part where you're, you're, you have a new routine basically, where like I'm not coming home and opening up the cabinet or like starting up the oven, you know, like you're just basically, all right, I'm home and now just continue doing, I guess, what I was doing. You know, there's not that that normal cessation or the, the change of activities. Um, and, and eating is a pleasurable activity, you know, like it's it's delightful, it's, it's enjoyable, you're rewarded for eating. Uh, not having that is, is a little bit hard. So I think that was the hardest thing to try to get through um, or to try to embrace. And um, But, yeah, once I was, I guess, having the support of, of a couple friends, too. I think I had one friend for the first fast. Um, shout out to Jerry2Jack for doing it with me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, having, having somebody as an, a companion really makes it uh, – all that, that much easier. Because I think without him, I probably would have just been like, you know what? Like, not that many people do a three-day fast. So, like, I'm done after three days. But,
0: yeah, I did three days. Yeah. I beat everybody else in the entire community. Right, right. So,
1: like, I could have said something like that. But it honestly wasn't, like, horrible enough to, like, justify giving up at that point. So, but yeah, I continued to the, the fifth day. and um, Yeah, I think... The, probably the biggest benefit that I, I would say I reaped from from fasting is that that new mental awareness of my ability to persist through like physically demanding activities even more than the Iron Man, I think. Like this was to me this was like more incredible in a way. Like the Iron Man, like the the you're like, the, the progress is very slow. It's over the course of a year, but in the fasting of five days, like you have to convince yourself in a short amount of time that you can do, you can do this. And um, I just noticed like afterwards, like I was no longer um, distressed by the fact of like missing my normal eating hour, <laughs> like lunchtime comes around and let's say I have a lot of work to do or like I have a person in front of me like before the fasting, I would have been the type of person to be like become enraged by the fact that like I didn't get my lunch like <laughs> like leave me alone, like I gotta go now, like hangry, I'm, yeah, yeah, exactly, um, or even like traveling too, like there's often instances when you travel that you can't get your lunch and then you become frustrated and you become irritable, and you're just not you're not a delight to be around.
0: Right. Um, right. Just because you're fasting doesn't mean everybody else has to wear sackcloth and ashes and right. supper.
1: Right. So I think after having like done a five-day fast, I realized that I was way more capable of enduring um, a period of not eating. And so now in the future, I'm like, well, I didn't get lunch, but I've done five days before, like, I'm okay.
0: <laughs> See, I, I honestly think this would be very freeing because let's say I'm traveling someplace and I'm in the airport and uh, the airport food is, it's naturally very expensive. Uh, and then some of it's just pure crap. So I can just skip all that. Right. I can just skip the airport food completely.
1: Right, it's a total change because before I would have thought like, you know what, this is dinner time. I need to eat because if I don't eat, then like terrible things are going to happen, right? Because that's what I've always been led right. to believe, Right. you know? But, and I don't like, I, I should say like, I think there are people that I know that don't interact with the extended fast like super well, so um, I'm not saying like everybody got to go try this now, like I think you should proceed with caution, and uh, I think, men and women and different types of people interact differently for, like, an extended fast.
0: Yeah, let's kind of talk about the medical aspect on Mm -hmm. this just a little bit, if you know. But if you don't, maybe you could point people towards some resources. Um, Because, yeah, we're not endorsing this. Uh, You know, this conversation is for fun, and maybe some people could benefit from it. But, you know, you basically need to do your own reading, your own research, etc., just the same as I would say for running a marathon or doing an Ironman, it's right. it's on you, man. Right. You're like we disclaim all responsibility here <laughs> yeah. completely. Yeah. But uh, in in your mind, who should fast? Who shouldn't fast? Or do you have a protocol that you would care to share?
1: Mm-hmm. Um. I, I, I mean, personally, I, I would say anybody who's like getting like maybe past high school age. Um, I think everybody would fast from at least like small fasting. Mm-hmm whatever that might be like, maybe skipping a meal, uh, just like something to challenge you a little bit and build, again, more self, self-discipline, self self-respect, uh, understanding your body more, uh, seeing how you interact with, with particular types of food. I think everybody has an ability to benefit from it. But some of my own research from like Dr. Rhonda Patrick and I think there's another man named Dom Agostino, I think is his name. Yeah,
0: yeah, Dom Agostino.
1: Yeah, he, uh, both those two I think talk about like Potential benefits for those who have cancer as well, because mm. um, I think they said like an extended fast. Um, some research has, has led us to believe that like starving the cancer cells when you fast is also like is proven to make chemotherapy more effective. Interesting. Um, so those who go into chemo in a fasted state have have um, more success with their chemotherapy. And again, I don't, I can't quote the exact statistics or the the study. That, that or like the studies that research those points, but I know it was Dr. Ryan Patrick and Don LaCostina who we were talking about certain things like that, but even to prevent cancer, I think there's some research that has shown um, that doing extended fasted, extended fasting uh, maybe like every four months, like quarterly, um, kind of like gets your body uh, in the situation like a rebo- reboot mode. Right. Uh, getting rid of those... Um, Damaged cells, I think that's right. what they called them. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say if, that, if all that literature is true, it seems like everybody should at least like, look into it. But even if that literature isn't true, I think uh, it definitely builds self-respect and, and ability to like, overcome um, your own feeling of hunger, I guess.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think this is why every major religious tradition across the world has had some form of fasting for all these centuries. Mm -hmm. I think modern science sometimes looks at things that ancient religions have done and says, right, there's a reason that this was built into the system. I mean, people do this for spiritual reasons, primarily, but they also have like an ancillary physical benefit. Um, And I've read about the weak cells basically dying off because your body is always killing off cells and if you fast, then it just accelerates the death of the weak ones, and it makes the other ones stronger. Kind of that which does not kill us makes us stronger, mm-hmm. philosophy for cells. Mm-hmm. Maybe people should read the book Ten Days Sugar Detox, mm-hmm. just under the evils of sugar. and uh, The book, I think, has a few comments about things like diabetes and cancer which maybe excessive sugar can exacerbate. Mm -hmm. I only have one other question about fasting. And I I just recently heard somebody fasted, I believe, for seven or eight days. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was interviewing somebody else. And both of them agreed that their senses just became so sharp. Mm -hmm. And it just felt like they were entering into a new world almost, um, just where everything was just so precise. And I was just wondering if, if you felt like, I don't know, your senses becoming sharper, hmm. or if that's just peculiar to them.
1: Yeah, personally, I can't attest to any any type of like extraordinary um, new ability that I had like with my senses. But I do know that like when I do time restricted eating, when I restrict my eating window from um, to to about like maybe eight hours in the day, I think I do notice that teaching my my teaching ability is is uh significantly better for example like i think when my body isn't in digest digestion mode oh sure um like if i've skipped breakfast and and prolonged the eating until maybe like uh one o'clock or three o'clock or something like that i am more capable of of um delivering like a concise thought um and also, I don't have to, like, use the bathroom as much, too, so that, that there's that added benefit as well. Um, yeah, so I, I think like, kind of like that foggy brain, you know, like, just like... I think food coma.
0: People yeah, food eat. coma, right. Yeah, they have lunch, and then they come back, and then a half an hour later, they're dead.
1: Right. They're right.
0: absolutely dead. You're right,
1: and I think that's simply because, like, your body is working hard to digest that food, and that's, that's a difficult thing, you know, and... Um, So trying to do another activity on top of already digesting your food, like, it makes sense that you're going to be sacrificing some type of mental clarity or or just efficiency. So yeah, I have noticed that, that increased ability, I guess, um, to just be more mentally sound and clear when I'm teaching. So okay,
0: probably that. Well, you're very into fitness. You're pretty jacked. So let me just ask a little bit about your weightlifting routine Mm -hmm. these days. Sounds good. Tell me about uh, it. What yeah. is your routine? Uh, because, gosh, you, to me, you've morphed your body. I mean, you went from, like, weightlifter and basketball player to long-distance person, marathoner, Ironman, and now we're jacked in a different way. So it's like you're three different people. Yeah, I would uh, probably argue, that I'm. Um,
1: I don't consider myself to be jacked. <laughs> um, I don't know. I I think like my goal in fitness right now is is to be like healthy. I think that's that should be everyone's goal is to be healthy, um, in whatever way that like I, I and mean, just different types of uh, bodies and um, yeah, that's definitely my goal. I don't want to be like overly like like I don't want to be so so strong that like I'm sacrificing like the the soundness of my knees because they have to carry so much weight. You know you know what I mean, but um, yeah, currently I, I'm, I'm striving for a heavier deadlift. Um, my goal for the year is a 500 pound deadlift. I had to kind of like go take a little bit of break due to COVID. I just didn't have the materials for that. Um, and then I had a little bit of a, an issue with my rhomboid and my back. Uh, I actually think it's because of all the painting I've been doing, just been using my body in a different way in a different position for like such a long time because I was working like 10 hour days painting. So I took a little bit of a break on that, but I'm also trying to get down to a five minute mile. So that was kind of like my 2020 goal is both to be like um, capable of lifting heavy, like a 500 pound deadlift, um, which I got to about 400. Um, that was back in March, I think. And then also being quick. So I, can't, I, don't know, like, I like to be round, like well-rounded. I don't want to just be like this huge macho man but I also don't want to be like a, just a twig who like can't lift a lift a gallon of milk, you know what I mean? Um so yeah, I, I wanna be healthy and well rounded. Um so yeah, I've been I've been working at that and I got right now I'm down to a five twelve minute mile. Um,
0: five twelve.
1: Five twelve. So yeah. Hopefully by the end of twenty twenty I'll be breaking the fives.
0: When did you start on this quest for the five-minute mile?
1: Um, that was just back in January. I think it was just one of my 2020 goals. Okay. Yeah. But I don't think I started running until, like, February. Like, throughout the winter, I kind of take a little bit of a break. I'm still active, but I'm not, like, running a whole lot. Because I, I truly do prefer to run outside. I don't, I'm don't. i just not a big fan of the treadmill. Mentally, it's too, like, it's too boring, and I'd rather be outside. And
0: You're only practice. on it for five minutes and 12 seconds. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's true, but... I don't know, I'd, I'd rather do other things, or even doing, like, the assault bike. Like, I I, I prefer, like, the rower or the assault bike, like, high-intensity interval training to just running on a treadmill for more than five minutes.
0: So, yeah, how do you train for a five-minute mile? What's the plan?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I think the what I've been doing is just um, a lot of interval training. So, like, what that is to me is, like, going out and uh, running... So a five-minute mile is basically a split, so a 400-meter split of a minute and 15 seconds. So <clears throat> what I've been doing is every, like, maybe two or three times a week, I do those intervals where I run uh, the 400 meters, like, four times. Uh, no, not four times. I run 400 meters at a 115-minute pace. Then I give myself, like, as short a break as possible, so that I can run another 400 meters at a minute 15 pace. Um, so basically, the idea is that eventually I'll get to the to the place where I'll be running a minute 15 pace without interruption. So you're slowly throughout like the course of this year, like I've been like I started off where I was running like a minute 15 pace, and like I could run maybe one of those, and I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> right, done for the day. Yeah, done for the day. But then like I slowly progress, or I could, I could run them. Uh, 400 meters at 115 and then I need to give myself like maybe a three-minute break and I could do it again Maybe I could do it one more time But then over the course of like weeks like I could get, run a 115 then maybe take like a 30-second break run another 115 30-second break 115 maybe do that like eight times And now I'm getting to the, pa- the pace where I can almost do it but like I'm running like a one eighteen or so and um, without any breaks in between. So that's, that's kind of been my, my uh, I guess, plan, as I've been doing this, just like slowly getting rid of the, the time in between each interval. But I also do like, on the weekends, I run like a, a mile just to, like, without any breaks. A relaxing mile. I do, well I do a relaxing mile, but then I also do like a time mile just to see where I'm mm, at. Okay. Um, and sometimes I do like a 400 at like a little bit quicker of a pace too. Uh, where I do like try to get like 109 or um just to kind of do a little bit more of the speed work but I don't know my biggest thing my biggest principle I guess is like really trying your best to exhaust the body and like do so quickly rather than like just going out and let's just take like a five mile run and like an eight mile or eight minute mile um pace right
0: some programs call those junk miles yeah that if you're not going out there with a time target in mind mm -hmm. uh that's maybe part of an 18-week plan where on wednesdays we're supposed to do tempo run at such and such i've just seen any number of programs that are against what they call these junk miles
1: Mm -hmm. yeah no i think like there was a time when i thought that that was beneficial but i think i've also done like a lot of research and seen a lot of literature that Proves, like the best way to improve like not only like your mile time but your health and your fitness is really to do like the things that get your heart rate up the high intensity doesn't have to be for very long but just the high intensity like like some people complain about like oh i don't have enough time to get a good workout in so therefore i'm not going to do a workout at all but like you truly can get like a really good workout in, in like five minutes like, right just go outside and and run as fast as you can for like 30 seconds And then take a break do it again for another 30 seconds do it again like do it maybe five times like that in and of itself is like that you're gonna be exhausted if you haven't done that for a while like i think you can get a really good workout in doing high intensity are you
0: sprinting each of those 30 seconds in that five mile five minute workout yeah yeah
1: if if i was doing a 30 second interval yeah i'd be sprinting
0: okay yeah. So, just uh, some quick hitters that on principles of exercise. Tell me what you think. I, I think we would call that one sprint till failure,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and then in weightlifting, there's lift till failure. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on lift till failure?
1: Um, I think in a controlled setting, and if like if you if you know that you, if you have like a lot of amount of confidence that you're lifting properly, um, yeah, I think I think it's okay. Like, I mean, with a deadlift, I've been kind of going there, like. Lifting as, as much as I can, possibly, from the ground. Um, but that's after, like, a lot of, like, a lot of weeks leading up to that. A lot of time, like, getting critiqued with, um, being coached with form. Because, mm. um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to lift or, like, deadlift 500 pounds or attempt to lift, like, 400 pounds. And I haven't done it before and, and totally blow out my back.
0: Right, agree completely. Yeah. I, you kind of read my mind because my next question was going to be on form. Mm-hmm. Tell me about form.
1: Right. Yeah, I think it's, it's essential to know, like if you if you truly are going for like uh, like breaking records or breaking your own records, like you, you it's not just not enough just to like go out and do it. Like you have to know that you have to like put some research into it and get coached a little bit, and know that you're like lifting it properly because otherwise, yeah, you're gonna. You're gonna run into a lot of issues the same is true with running like you can't just like listen to some somebody giving you motivation and then be like all right i'm gonna go out and run 13 miles now uh because you probably could do it even without training but you're you're gonna be like david goggins and (laughs) have like a broken leg or like you're bleeding under uh, like you have blisters that are bleeding you know like there's there's value in like pushing yourself but you can't be, like, an idiot
0: about it. Right, right, right. We, uh, form is important because, yeah, we don't want to have broken anything. But even short of that, you don't want to jack up your back or screw up your knees. Mm-hmm. Proper form is just going to give you longevity. Mm-hmm. You might still be lifting weights in your 70s or 80s or right. 90s mm-hmm. if you're doing proper form. Totally. Uh, okay, so muscle confusion the principle muscle confusion what are your thoughts on on that explain it variation so in other words like i don't know let's say i I go in there and i do bench press and i do incline press and then i do pull-ups and i I just have this routine and i just do it every single time and and i've done that for the last five years Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on uh, muscle confusion is the opposite of all that Mm -hmm. it's uh shake up your routine shake up your routine on a consistent basis yeah yeah with thoughts
1: yeah i think that's Definitely it makes sense to me, and I think like another thing to remember. I think I think this might have been like Arnold Schwarzenegger who who said this, but like your muscles don't like have a brain. Like they're not thinking to themselves, like oh, this is like 500 pounds, and like last time we did 400 pounds or whatever. Like they're not thinking that. Like you could, in principle, like lift less weight and do it in a different way, like you're saying and the muscles will think like, whoa, we've never lifted this much weight before. In reality, they have. They just haven't done it in the way that you're doing it currently. Um, like for example, um, maybe push-ups. Maybe like you, you could do 50 push-ups or something like that. Um, and your muscles, like they're used to that. They know that. But let's say we change it up a little bit and we throw some isolation in there and we do like five, like we're gonna do 25 push-ups this time, half as much but every five push ups we're going to isolate the muscles, the chest muscles and the biceps and the triceps. And, and we're going to like, once we come down to the floor, we're going to isolate like an inch above the floor mm. and just hold that position, which isn't like we haven't like in doing push-ups, we've been kind of going through that motion, but we haven't isolated it right there.
0: Oh, interesting principle.
1: Right. And, and I think like the muscles really benefit from being pushed in certain ways. Um, So like adding in that type of component where you isolate the muscles in ways that they're not used to uh, is really beneficial and I've I've noticed myself like growing in ways I haven't uh, recognized before by even like taking certain movements slower like sometimes you want to be like really explosive but other times you like you want to like have really good reps and maybe you do like again like 25 push-ups like nice and slowly maybe explode when you're coming off the ground but go, like, really slowly and hold it when you're going further down in the ground. Mm. Those 25 push-ups done really well. Explosion with also some isolation. Those 25 push-ups are probably worth more than the 50 push-ups just done rapidly. Oh, for sure. So, yeah. Well,
0: I'm also kind of a believer, tell me what you think about this, that let's say somebody can do 50 push-ups. You get more benefit out of number 49, 50, and then the 51st one that you can't do. Mm -hmm the one that you fail on, you gain more from those three than maybe you did from the preceding set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Thoughts.
1: yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I was just thinking about this yesterday when I was doing some, some weightlifting that I think I've grown to understand like when my body is at that point of like, you can, you can kind of like start to feel the muscles like tearing, which is like, sounds horrible, but like it's what you want. Right. It's what you want, <laughs> right. so you want <laughs> to happen so that it like it rebuilds itself in a stronger way. Um, but I think I'm, I'm finally like at that point where like, I really can understand when I'm, when I'm doing like any motion that like I've reached that point where the muscle is is, is exhausted itself and is starting to like basically re, like get to the point where it will rebuild in a stronger way. Um, whereas before I think like past previous years I would like just weight lift and I'd just be like, all right, I'm just doing four sets of eights and that's what the program says, so I'm not going to do anything more. But in reality, I was probably missing out on a lot of benefit because I wasn't pushing myself to those reps where, like, I could feel my body like really struggling, mm. like in a healthy way, right? And like, you could feel like that tension, that burn, where it's like that's exactly what you want. It might be a little uncomfortable if you're not used to it. Um,
0: I mean, it should be kind of uncomfortable, right? Right. Shouldn't
1: it? Yeah, I think it, it's, it's probably always uncomfortable, but like once you understand that, like, that's the point where you want to get to. You're, like, you're more comfortable with it, realizing that that's, like, it's a healthy type of one, comfortable.
0: Okay, I have one last question on this type of thing, but I, I think what we're saying, it applies to weightlifting, but it applies to running, but it also applies to learning things, like, for example, maybe a foreign language. I, I think everything that we're saying has maybe an analogy that also can fit into another field. Uh, you, all of these methods we're talking about are ways of challenging ourselves. So we've talked about, you know, variation and uh, high interval intensity training and uh, proper form. Is there any principle or idea of fitness that we've excluded hmm. that you would like to bring up?
1: Hmm. Uh, nothing is popping into my head right now. There probably is, but I can't think of it. I mean, we've, we've covered quite a bit already
0: okay we'll come back to that perhaps okay so you're taking your experimental mindset and you're passing it on to your students who are 14 15 16 17 18 and you've got this uh assignment that involves three tiers a tier one tier two tier three and uh you have them do things that make them feel more human could you tell me just a little bit about this assignment? What yeah. class is it for? How do students react to it? What is tier one, tier two, tier three? <laughs> yeah, so this is for
1: my Western Civilization course, uh, which is actually more of like a Western philosophy course, just an introduction. It's just a, a one semester um, introduction to some of the great like, Western thinkers. And I really wish it was a longer course, but. Um, for the time being, I'm really grateful to be able to teach something like it in general, especially at a, at a sophomore level in high school. But uh, it was actually motivated by um, a man named Aristotle. You know him, <laughs> but he I, he has like this. I guess it was motivated by a lot of philosophers, but he, I think he more than anyone like um, with his his idea that like a thing flourishes when it does what is most uniquely to it. Mm. So, for example, like um, a dog is really going to flourish when it's doing what's uniquely doggy.
0: Yeah, I I (laughs) can give you an example of that. Sure, go for it. So I went to Alaska, Mm -hmm. and they described the Alaskan Huskies to me, which I didn't know anything about. And they said, well, these dogs are for the Iditarod, which is this 1,000-mile race through the snow, something like that. Mm -hmm. I'm getting some of my facts wrong, but this is the basic idea. They said that these dogs eat 12,000 calories a day. Mm -hmm. They eat food that dogs absolutely love, all kinds of meat and I think certain kinds of fish. And uh, these dogs are pack animals, so they love to be around each other. They just all are very happy all the time. And these dogs are built to run and they love to run. So here they are, they're eating the best food on earth. It struck me that these dogs are eating better than 99% of the people I know, including me, and they're with their friends all day long, and they're doing what they love to do, with the, which is run. Right. And then there's, I guess, sort of a companionship, but also a competitive aspect to this, which apparently the dogs enjoy both of these things. Right. So everything about this whole situation apparently is just perfect for these Alaskan husky dogs. Yeah,
1: it's dog heaven there.
0: It's dog heaven, but would any other creature really enjoy that as much?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Maybe, but I don't know what creature that would be. Right, right i do kind of critique some of my students too because
1: you know how many how much like people love their dogs and their pets and and uh it's funny because like with this principle i guess like we could clearly see that even though these people say they love their dog like some people are giving them like dog hell (laughs) right you know because like they're just like they're doing everything that's contrary to the dog's natural disposition they're like maybe they're in a cage in in the garage and like they don't have like any exposure to the light of day and no and companions they, no companions and it's just like
0: crap our, food
1: yeah their food is it's just like the worst thing possible from the store it's just the cheapest thing it's well it's like,
0: reminding me of the soviet prison Lavyanka. Which, that's where people went, and if they were lucky, they got exiled to Siberia, frozen Siberia, and worked at a gulag. That was better than Lobyanka. Mm-hmm. So, these poor dogs are in LaBianca.
1: Yeah, right, right. Um, so, yeah, I guess this principle is, like, I think it makes sense that, like, whatever, look at, look at you as a species, or who you are, what you are. And what's unique to you, you want to maximize that in order for you to flourish and have well-being. And like Aristotle like, pointed out that like, we are uniquely um, capable of thinking and acting upon that thinking. So we can, we can rationalize and we can do something about what we think about and put that into action. Um,
0: the animal acts on instinct. Right. The right. plant, who knows what the hell the plant right. does? But human beings can think and then they can act right. accordingly. Right. So, uh,
1: so I guess this uh, the thing that you mentioned the, the different tiers. Those are there's for a, a project that I call the Human Foundational Experiences Project. So I've just like I've listed a lot of different things for them to to choose to do, which are like I consider to be uniquely human. Um, so things uh, they, they range in a, in a range of difficulty from like. Uh, going stargazing with friends, or making a homemade meal from scratch, or uh, composing a poem, or memorizing a poem and reciting it for somebody, um, or even, like, writing a short play, or writing a novel, or uh, some of the harder ones that include, like, tending a garden for, like, 20 hours, and, like, really seeing it to its its uh, harvest time, and just, like, things which uh, no other species does, like, cultivating, and composing and and building like these are very human things and they tend to be incredibly rewarding because they like they resonate with our human nature we we just have this desire to do these uniquely human things and um, for those who like really embrace this activity my my students I I think they really do find it uh, enjoyable and memorable and I think it provokes them in a way that like they some of them like have told me like i've never really seen, like looked at the stars before like uh which just kind of like strikes me like really i've never done something like that
0: but, They're the stars are so beautiful yeah
1: they, they say things like that like they, they they knew that the stars were there but just like setting aside time to like specifically um like really relish them and take them in um
0: and you know for people who think that they've been there, done that, they've seen it all, they're mm-hmm. 15 years old, you know, mm-hmm. they're world-weary, etc. just looking at the stars provokes this whole sense of wonder and mystery and you're wondering, okay, so I'm looking at a black cloth with some light shining through some holes and yet I can just do this for an hour mm-hmm. and just be mesmerized. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a these activities are they're wonderful because I think they do like two things and probably more than this, but like they allow you to like, they allow you to see again, like your agency, like I can do these things, like I can, I can bake a cake from scratch. And um, so in in one sense, like you're, you're elevated, uh, but you're also like kind of pulled outside of yourself too. Like you're mentioning the stars, like you're recognizing something transcendent beyond yourself something like mysterious or something that's like um, worth uh, rejoicing in. Right. Um, it's, not like, it's not like literally just like in you. But it's like beyond yourself. And there's something just so wonderful to like witness something transcendent. Um, so, yeah, those two components, I think, are, are often within these activities of, of increased agency and recognition that like, man, I can do stuff. This is awesome. But then also, like, another recognition that, like, there's something beyond myself, too. So it's it's kind of, like, um, it's, it's cool how those two things which are almost even, like, contrary to each other, but, like, they actually go hand-in-hand. Hand.
0: Absolutely. On one level, it boosts people's, uh, for lack of a better word, their ego or their mm-hmm. self-confidence by giving them this sense of agency mm-hmm. that I can actually achieve something. I can do something. I can at least make an effort towards something.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But simultaneously, it makes us more humble right it lowers our ego and maybe lowers our self-appreciation or self-love by making us realize i am just a dot <laughs> in <laughs> this vast planet right. which is just a speck yeah in this humongous universe which yeah. is ancient
1: which i guess is just like becoming more integrated with reality you know because in one sense it truly is like you can do much more than you probably thought you could do that's that's reality but then, in another sense, like it's good to remember that, like, my position in the universe is is one of like, yeah, like you're saying, just dust, basically. Like, it's it's recognizing that I have dignity and I have uh, I have an ability to, to transcend my circumstances. But I'm also like, I'm a I'm a miserable wreck in this in this universe too. You know?
0: <laughs> yeah. It's both and. life, life is beautiful, and life is just a blip. Yeah. So so uh, rattle off, if you can, uh, just as many of the Tier 1 activities as you can remember off the top of your head. Then I'll ask the same question about the Tier 2 and the Tier 3. Sure.
1: I should just have a list out in front of me. Um, tier 1 would just be like, uh, like having a, a bonfire with friends and maybe going fishing, taking a walk in the park without your phone... Um, Maybe calling your grandparents up on the phone just to chat rather than it being, like, some type of, um, like, happy birthday call. Um, trying to think of the other ones, like, flying the kites or just, like, uh, spending an afternoon reading. Certain things which only take maybe, like, 15 minutes to do is kind of the, the activity for Or them. that aren't too hard. Right, yeah, they're not too difficult. Um, tier 2 would be something more... Uh, more like a few hours to accomplish, such as such as like writing, maybe a few handwritten letters to people, uh, maybe making like researching and making a, a homemade meal from scratch. Um, trying to think of the other ones. There's like 25 on the list, but doing things which do involve more time and devotion. Maybe even like constructing um, something out of wood, like something building like a like a little nightstand or. Uh, building like a birdhouse, something like that which wouldn't take like more than an afternoon but it still feel like really satisfying to do something like that well it
0: is I built a shelf for myself a bookcase actually in high school I still use it to this day Mm -hmm. it's a piece of crap but I really (laughs) like it yeah it's great Um, and then tier three is something more substantial
1: which is supposed to take like almost the whole semester now like uh, you're gonna like just wear yourself out with this thing, but it, it, it should take like 15 minutes a day, 10, min, 10 to 15 minutes a day for like three to four months. So what I tell them is uh, anything from like journaling, like um, I truly do think that journaling is something so good. Like we've, we've been talking about in this podcast, like self-reflection is so valuable. Oh, for sure. Especially in, in, in high school. And they have so many questions. They're wrestling with self-identity, you know, like where do I fit in and, Am I worthwhile to other people? Um, like, where am I supposed to go after high school? What am I supposed to do? So I, I, I do propose that to a lot of students to, to uh, do some type of journaling activity. Um, I've had a girl uh, build, or not build, <laughs> uh, make her own uh, prom dress. Oh my gosh. So that was a really cool activity. So she did that with her mom. Uh, but that took her like quite a bit of time to like. Uh, design it and sew it and uh, yeah it's just like so cool because she actually like wore it too and it was was beautiful um so that was a a really fun one um some people choose to learn a new instrument like the piano um sometimes i do it with my students i tried to learn the viola last semester um so i devoted like 15 minutes a day for a little while um yeah, like just these like uh, activities, like even gardening, like I mentioned before. So something that would take a little bit more time, probably a little bit of research, uh, something that hopefully the student comes away with like feeling really proud and rewarded by devoting time to it.
0: Does everybody have to do a Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3?
1: Yeah, so in the first tier, the easiest one, they have to do like three different um, um, Human experiences and then tier two you have to do two of them And then they're supposed to just choose one for the bigger one and really devote them themselves
0: to it. How many people? Succeed in getting all the tiers done.
1: Well, most of the students claim that they do them all (laughs) (laughs) I do have students who are honest and they say like like they initially started off like playing the piano, but it just became kind of a burden uh, So I do have some students who are honest, but I don't know, I would say maybe half of them, like, truly do give themselves to these activities, and um, especially Tier 3, that's the hardest one, um, but for those who do, it's, it, it's its evident that, like, they truly did give themselves to it, and they were rewarded for their effort. Um, and they do, get,
0: do they come in, and are they just excited to no end?
1: Yeah, well, they, they, like, either share their, their uh, specific thing that they did, um, or, like, like sometimes they play for us, like they play their instruments or um, they share like the thing that they constructed or built or sewed. Some of them like learn how to knit and they share their, their scarf or whatever it might be. Uh, some of them are disappointed because they don't, they don't feel like they made that much progress. But yeah, for those of them who like really dedicated them, themselves to it, it's, it's a pretty rewarding thing just to witness. So
0: That's pretty fantastic. Do some of the kids who didn't succeed... Are they inspired then?
1: Yeah, um, And I say kind of like before, I think I really try my best to work, work with them and like, get them out of the habit of thinking that like, they can't do that, because hmm. I think the majority of them think to themselves like, "I just don't have the time for it," or "I just don't have the ability. I'm not that person who can like, do that, because I've never done it before, you know. Um, so I really try to encourage them based on my, on my own life. Um, but just like, yeah, try to like share examples with them of people who thought the same thing. Because uh, I, I do think that that's probably the biggest thing. They don't, they don't think that they have it within them or they just think that they lack the time.
0: Well, let me also ask this. And, and I don't know if this is just a defect of human nature or if this is the school system's fault or maybe a little bit of both. But it seems to me that a lot of people are pretty black and white about what they can do and what they can't do. And of course, fear of failure, I believe I've read, is, is uh, most normal people's number one fear. Mm-hmm. Fear of failure and then followed by fear of rejection, which is another form of failure. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's merit in trying and failing. Mm. Oh, yeah. I, I think, for example, somebody could say the way you trained for the Ironman where it took you a year. Mm-hmm. To get to the point where you could do the swim mm-hmm. and you started off severely defective, not able to make half a minute of swim. And then you worked your way up to an hour and, and you just had to be patient with some people would say that, hey, that's a failure every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think people have to be cool with that. Yeah. You know, hard. I mean... Yeah, look, I mean, I'll have my, my parents would say, well, you shouldn't call that a failure. You should call that practice. Right. So, I mean, we could play with the language if we want. Yeah,
2: right. But,
0: but I, I just think there's a lot of people, they, they just don't want to take this particular class because they don't want to get the wrong answer. Mm-hmm. There's kids in the math class who don't want to raise their hand because they're not 100% positive mm-hmm. what the answer might be. Right. There's other kids who don't like the English class because they think anything could be the right answer. When writing an essay, right. they would prefer for to be back in the math class where two plus two equals four most of the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, so, what are your thoughts yeah. on overcoming people's very natural or perhaps socially conditioned fear of failure?
1: Right. That is hard because you brought up a good point um, that like our current fi- um, our current educational system like it it doesn't do the best job of encouraging you to become comfortable with like making. Mistakes, errors and making mistakes, because yeah, like if you make a mistake at school, you get the you get the grade associated with that mistake, and that persists. Like it's not something that changes. Um, and yeah, you don't you don't want that. You want you want a good grade, and so therefore you take the classes that you think you can get that good grade in, or you forget about the things that you initially didn't like do very well in, because like you don't want to continue getting bad grades and bad marks because that. That's going to stick with you and eventually, like, yeah, you'll never be able to run away from it. It's kind of like how I think the system is set up. Whereas, like, I think on the contrary, like, what we want to be doing with our students is getting them in in a situation where they become comfortable with their mistakes. Like, in realizing that you have to be comfortable with mistake after mistake after mistake before you become the person who's capable of... Writing well, or the person who's capable of running far, um, and I even like, even though I've done so many things and I've I've experimented in realms beyond what I thought I had an ability like like with the running or with the I don't know like viola playing, piano playing, gu- guitar playing. Like I never thought that I would be able to play guitar. Uh, like I I still have to become comfortable with like results that are inferior you know
0: yeah Um, yeah you have to say look i put in a half an hour yeah and that matters more than the final results right at least maybe for the first six months
2: Mm
1: -hmm. even even right now i've been getting into bread baking with all the like i got into it before quarantine so i'm not just the cliche person who started getting into bread making the, or bread baking before uh covid but i've been doing a lot of it in covid just because i've had the time um but it's still the same case. Like I found myself getting frustrated, like, ah, like another bad loaf. And I, I just, I don't have it in me, you know, getting that type of mindset that like you, you failed once and like, you just don't have the natural disposition. But like, I, I really do have to remind myself like, Hey, like this one was bad, but like, just like, you have to learn from this one and try to figure out like, how could you do it better next time? Because there will be a next time. And You're gonna like continue to get better and but you can't stop you can't like give up on yourself right now um and yeah i think that's unfortunately uh what a lot of people have in school currently is like if i recognize that i did this poorly it's time to like either hate the subject or give up or get out you know Um, but we want yeah we want students to continually progress and be open to opportunities to transformation
0: how, how do you do that other than giving them a pep talk and saying don't fear failure kids right, right. how do we do this in in a way that that it sticks
1: yeah that's a that's a big question i think it's like a, reorganizing the way that we do like our, our system currently like even with grades like like it's hard because our system is set up in a way to like just figure out like okay this is the material I want my students to know I want them to be able to like regurgitate it back to me basically and I give them a mark to 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 show like if they've been able to successfully do such um but rather like what we're talking about is we want to reward students for sincerely giving themselves to the discipline and giving forth efforts um and sticking with it basically you know what I mean like
0: yeah we're, I think... If we could give grades based on, hey, how many hours did you put in over right. the last six months?
1: Right, like...
0: And it, sincere it, hours, not goof-off hours. Right. But, but these were sincere hours, and we know.
1: Yeah, and it, there, there is value, like... Because, like, we do have to be able to say at the end of the day, like, is this person, like... Like, if there was, like, a, a class, like, mechanics or something like that, like, we don't want... I don't want the mechanic who just, like put forth a lot of effort, and he still is horrible. Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? I still want the mechanic who is capable, but I still want, like, the people who are being educated, just because they didn't get it initially, I don't want them to give up. So I think that, like, there should be some type of, like, reward, or, um, like, there should be some type of merit for the virtue that they're displaying and and persisting and not giving up.
0: I think so, too. You know, there's an author a long time ago named Poe Bronson, and uh, this is, I guess, a related idea. He used to believe that it was really, really bad to praise kids for being capable mm-hmm. or for being smart. Like, you never wanted to praise kids and say, wow, you are just a really smart kid when they did something well. He instead wanted to say, you worked really hard at that, and I applaud you for your hard work because in his way of thinking, how intelligent you were might not be anything that you could do something about. You might just be skating by a natural aptitude. And then the minute you ran into a difficult situation, you would fold up like a cheap tent. You would just crumple up and die. And then you would also believe all these people who told me I was smart all these years. They're obviously liars, you know, because I just failed. I just failed at this thing. But effort is always something that you can control. And so what he wanted to do was, he wanted to reward people for their effort. As far as I know, psychology has really backed that up and said that he's essentially right. Don't praise kids for being smart or good looking or whatever. Praise them for how much effort they put into things. Isn't there an experiment where they they do this with young kids and
1: they give like two groups of kids math problems, the same math problem, and both are like, it's impossible to find the solution, but the kids don't know that. And one group of kids, like, they've been praised, like, like you're smart, you're, you're, you're doing well because you're smart, like, you're doing such a good job. And, like, before like, they've been given, like, all this praise because of, like, the success they've had. And, but it's because they're smart. But the other group of kids, like, they've been given praise for their, their good marks, but it's because of their hard work. So, like, good job, like, you've, you've done so well because you've worked hard. And these two groups of kids, just like you're saying, like they both are struggling, but the first group of kids who've been praised for their smartness give up so quickly. Now I can't remember the study exactly, but they give up so quickly because they think like we're just we've reached the peak of our smartness, basically absolutely we just can't do it. Absolutely. But the other group of kids, like they, they like for hours, I think, like continue working on this problem because they think in their head like. We can get this because we work hard. Um, and like even I think like the, the people doing the experiment come in and they tell the kids like, no, like, <laughs> like you can't solve this problem. This is like purposefully given to you because you just wanted to see if like you would keep working. But then like even though they know like they they said that like, we can't solve this problem, like continue working mm-hmm. on it. It's just like, it's a really good illustration. Of,
0: One of them of is probably Elon Musk. <laughs> and he's going to land on Mars and people are going to say, you know, they told me it couldn't be done.
1: Right, right. You know, that he's
0: going to be like, hey, I'm waving over here from the red planet. Ha right. <laughs> ha. Right.
2: right.
0: You right. know,
1: right. And I, I even like try to do that with myself, like to have that growth mindset, have that, that mindset of like, okay, like I didn't, I didn't do well or like I didn't get the results that I wanted, but but. I'm a hard worker, like, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna work hard at it tomorrow. Like I'm not gonna give up, I'm just gonna maybe take a break right now because I'm a little frustrated, but I'm gonna come back to it, I'm not gonna give up.
0: I think, uh, so we've talked about the work hard and I'd also like to just bring up the topic of mentors because I, I think that you've uh, really kind of hinted at this in the first place, that you would go out there and you would find books and you would find podcasts and you would find somebody else who had done these things. You know, for example, when you were doing the Iron Man. You did all those things. You did books, podcasts, and other people. Uh, do you want to add anything just on the subject of the mentor?
1: Sure. Yeah, I think mentors are hugely pivotal and, and uh, fundamental to a person's development. Um, it's kind of like the role of the saints in the Catholic Church, you know? Like, we have the saints for many reasons, but I think one largely because, like, we need these heroes to aspire to. Uh, and, and even in, like, our common life, whether, like, if we don't have those saints, like, um, to a degree in our common life, it's really hard. Like, if you don't have a, a father or mother to look up to or you don't have, like, th- those teachers that um, just, like, inspire greatness in you. Um, yeah, it's hard to, I guess, like, have a have a a good goal in your life because you don't have anything to aspire to to be like. But having someone, like like, the saints or just some type of model man or woman, like, I remember as a kid thinking, like, the parish priest, like, he was such a good man. And it's it's, it's unfortunate that we've had, like, so many scandals in the Catholic Church. But thankfully, I had a, a very, like, strong priest as a kid. Um, just so, like, like, so loving, so kind, so, so um, nurturing to, like, his community. And I think, like, as a kid, I, like, I was like really uh, aspiring to be kind of like him and then there's also like coaches and teachers and thankfully my parents too like having having such loving and hardworking stable parents has been like one of the biggest gifts I've ever been given probably who have demonstrated like a type of excellence in their own life and like obviously I'm going to think that there should be something like that for my own life too, you know? Uh, see, I think, don't they say like you, each person needs about like five five mentors or something like that that are, are uh, like, what they call like in their courts or like who are basically like in the person's life, not only encouraging them, but providing kind of like a roadmap with their own life of like what to, what to do and what to avoid. Um, yeah I know even like at Benedictine it was it was the case where I was looking at like I think at that age of being in college I was starting to look at the like the lives of of men and fathers and starting to see like oh, I could be a father like in the next ten years five years or whatever it might be and and those men are doing <laughs> doing a dang good job with the kids that they have and um, it, it totally rubbed off on me and um, yeah it had a huge impact and, I'm trying to do the best that I can right now at school knowing that, like, these young men look up to, like, whatever idol that they have, you know, whether that might be, like, a football player, hopefully something, someone of excellence, you know. They look up to what they, they see to be um, worth emulating, and, uh, yeah, I hope, to, I hope to give some type of example in my life, and I know you do, too. And you do a very good job of it. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a very like, very good to reflect on that and and I think critique my own lifestyle and remember that like I am being uh, whether I, I want it or not I am being a, a role model and I need to live live in a way that I would be like proud of someone um, mimicking the way that I live. I, I
0: just love <laughs> that. I think that if people don't have role models I think that they seek them and people may not seek them consciously but when they watch sports or when they see movies or when they associate with friends and family I think people are on some level consciously or subconsciously they are seeking that inspiring figure that ennobling figure and uh, to me I, I just interviewed somebody who has got an amazingly successful business and she's 18 years old. And she's just going gangbusters on this. She's a photographer and she's had three different couples ask her to do photographs for their weddings. She's 18 for crying out loud and she's going to be doing people's weddings. Mm -hmm. I just, I find this stunning. And of course she does a lot of other things too and it's just amazing. I asked her who her heroes and her role models were and she said, I have hundreds. Hmm. And uh, it strikes me that if a person has one, you want two. And if you have two, you want 10. And then you start partitioning them into just various aspects of your life. You know, for example, I I like to write and I like to read. And there are just literally dozens, if not hundreds, of authors that I just admire to no end. And then, of course, there's athletes and then there's world historical figures and then there's saints. And then there's people that I know in my community. And it's just endless. It's just absolutely endless where you just look at this person and you say, Joan of Arc. You are my role model for the ENFPs out there. You know, because she was an ENFP. Yeah, right. So I'm just like, this is amazing. This is mm-hmm. absolutely, am- just these people are there. Mm-hmm. And are they perfect? No, but but we admire people for the best things that they did. Right, right, Not for the worst things that they did. Yeah. So. I
1: have just one more thought on that. I think I've been thinking about life, um, especially young adulthood or adolescence, like, I think so many people are searching for a roadmap, you know, like how I'm 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 on a trajectory trying to achieve a goal. I think a lot of people have a different like idea of what that end goal might be, but we're all like searching for well-being, and we like we desire to have that roadmap given to us. I guess it would save us a lot of agony and just like a lot of different trials if we could just like receive. A, uh, a road map so that we can avoid this disastrous turn here this, that disastrous turn there and, and I think that's like kind of what, what role models do they, they provide a lot of the grunt work like if I could just like kind of take the, the life experience from this person maybe centuries before me um, the tradition that lies before me and uh, see like okay like this has been verified by thousands of people okay, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, <laughs> just, take it. I'll take that roadmap. map and
0: uh, no sense in reinventing the yeah, wheel.
1: I'll, I'll use that roadmap, and if I if I eventually see that it's leading me astray, well, at least like it was the roadmap that led a lot of people in the di- in the direction of excellence. And and who am I to think that I have the perfect roadmap at age eighteen? You know, like I think that's like what role models do is they provide that uh, that helpful roadmap.
0: The amazing thing about everything that you're saying is just the humility that it requires. Mm -hmm. To just accept that, hey, I'm starting from scratch, I may fail 500 times along the way, this might take much longer than I anticipated, there could be all these hidden moving parts that I don't even recognize. So let's, let's make this super practical. Let's say you were going to pick something new to do, like a new hobby or a new activity or just something that you wanted to conquer. Uh, I'll give you some examples, but you can tell me maybe what you would prefer to pick. Let's say somebody wants to learn auto mechanics and they've never, ever even changed the oil on their car. (laughs) Or let's say that somebody wants to learn French in, I don't know, three months because they're going to go to France in three months. Uh, Let's say somebody wants to play a brand new musical instrument that they've never played. You could pick. It doesn't have to be any of those, but pick one of those and tell me how you would go about it. Hmm.
1: Well, I think, uh, first of all, I I just, like, would need the motivation. Like, the long-term motivation is really key in the things that I do. Uh, For example, like, playing the viola versus the guitar. Um, I played both of them. I stuck with the guitar. And I think part of the reason is, is because uh, my motivation was much more clear. Um, And the reason why I had a better motivation with the guitar is because I think it was more clearly going to be advantageous for my well-being in the future. Um, not only are, they, they're they both enjoyable to play, they're both beautiful, at least I think so. Uh, but the guitar was lending itself to like family gatherings or playing with friends at the campfire, just like more, more times of uh, like enjoyable life experiences. So I guess like for me, like the biggest thing is Before you start off on whatever hobby or experiments you have, or, um, like, truly having, like, the reason why you want to do that. Have
0: a damn good reason.
1: Yeah, have a good motive, have a good why. Um, Otherwise, yeah, when it gets tough, then you're just going to start to say to yourself, like, why did I start doing this in the first place? It's it's not that enjoyable yet. Well, obviously, it's not going to be enjoyable at the beginning, but...
0: Because it is going to get tough. Yeah. When people first go out for that very first run, they think, oh, I feel so free, and that was just a great half mile, and now right, I'll go home.
1: Right, right. And I know a lot of people talk about that. Like, like there, there are definitely people who go to the gym with the motivation, like the beach body. Well, if that's your motivation, like, that's only going to persist maybe for, like, a couple months.
0: At the most. At the
1: most. Because, like, the beach body, like... That motivation is so low because it's, like, it's often very far away. Like, in January, you're thinking, like, oh, I want that beach body. But, like, that's also, like, a long time away, and it's not, like, that that much of a reward. Like, you just... No, you you
0: still have all of your great friends, and they probably want to go out eating cake and, I don't know, you know, consuming things that are going to make you fat, and they just really enjoy that stuff. Right. It's
1: not really going to make your life that much better, um, if you have the beach body, so I think you have a, a lot of reason to uh, cave to eat the cake or to do like eat the French fries. But if, you're, if your if reason to like give up um, those disordered actions is is like maybe because you know that your life depends upon it, or right maybe like you know that... right
0: would I give up sugar if I knew that this was going to help me with cancer? Right. Or diabetes.
1: Right. Maybe you know... What I... if
0: I were parents and I wanted to stay alive for my children? So maybe I wouldn't do it for myself to wipe out diabetes for myself. But if I knew that this would give me a better shot to be around for my kids. Right. I'm totally. giving up sugar for my kids.
1: Right. And I think like I, I have a little bit of understanding with that. Like I know that there's so much research that backs up like a healthy lifestyle of like uh, activity, like working out and eating well. Like that truly does like, work like probably the most good for a person in terms of like uh disease prevention and um, like hopefully preventing it against cancer too so it's like if if you if you do your homework like it's a such a good motive like if, if unless you i don't know if like unless you don't have much to live for but if you are the person who's like hoping to have a family and hoping to be there for um your wife and your eventual kids like that's a that's a damn good reason instead of just, like, the beach body, you know? Right, 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 yeah. So, I think, yeah, having, like, a really strong motive, um, especially for, like, the difficult things. Like, the, working out is really hard for a lot of people. It's not fun. But, yeah, for the guitar, it wasn't, like, super difficult, but it was, like, days when my fingers were sore that I had to remember, like, the reason why I'm doing this is because I it's such a beautiful instrument, and I want to be able to play for my kids someday and also to, like encourage community among my family um so even though it's hard right now i'm I'm gonna persist because it's worth it
0: so we're gonna start with why and i also heard in there do your homework
1: yeah yeah i think that's uh that's it's 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 helpful for uh building the why okay doing your homework like why do you want to know the guitar why do you want to like why do you want to like have a healthy body you know
0: Okay, so then what else? What else do I need to do? I need to start with why. I need to do my homework. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then just habituate the hell out of it. <laughs> okay.
0: Set up a regular schedule yeah. and stick to it.
1: Yeah. And I I mean that kind of facetiously, but I also think it, it like, in my mind, the word hell like means like a disordered life. Like you can live hell right now. Um, so I think like that phrase I've been using more lately, like habituate the hell out of something because like...
0: Oh, remove the hell from it because we've established a good habit, which maybe eliminated a bad habit. I see. Habituate the hell out of it. Right. Brilliant.
1: Yeah. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. (laughs) It's awesome. Um, So, yeah, just like I think so much of it is just establishing a rhythm, establishing this habit. Like if you're not used to working out, you have to get used to it. Um, So little by little, like maybe just 15 minutes a day. Where it just becomes more automatic over time, but like you really do have to devote yourself to making it a habit and habituating it day in and day out, even when you don't want to. Because initially you have to remember, it's, you're not going to want to for the first month, two, three months. It's only like once you've established this habit that it's going to become swift. It's going to be become easier, and you're not even going to think about doing it just because you're going to you're going to get used to it and you're going to start to like it. So. Uh, yeah that's my third third bit of advice okay, okay habituate the hell out of it
0: start with why do your homework habituate the hell out of it yep any other bits of advice that's it that's I it that's it That's it. Change. well I, if I can I'll, I'll just add a, one more mm-hmm. you can tell me if you think it's right if you can find mentors oh. or peers mm-hmm. uh, just because they will help you out yeah, yeah. you know
1: yeah we kind of covered that already yeah. but yeah that's a, did. a good point to remember that like doing it with a friend doing it like having a mentor who you look up to who's doing it well, or maybe those friends who would do it with you. Because, yeah, you're right. You're so much more likely to persist in, in a difficult situation when you have a friend
2: with you.
0: And then finally, I think we can also add, because we have before, is reframe the whole concept of failure. Mm-hmm. Failure is not trying something 365 days in a row and not succeeding. Failure is not trying it at all. So if I, quote, unquote, fail 365 days in a row, no, I succeeded because I put in that effort Mm -hmm. all that time. And if you have mentors and get some feedback, there's just no way. You're going to make so much progress very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that that might be practically everything. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess my last question would be this, Tyler. So looking back, let's say you are 100 years old and you're looking back on your life and uh, you are holding the hand of your lovely wife, and you are surrounded by children and grandchildren, and they say, Grandpa, what were some of the craziest experiments that you've ever done? Mm. What would you say? (laughs) Because you have another 70 years to do some more crazy 70-plus. So let's be crazy. What else would you like to do?
1: Well, I do have a bucket list, but I'm trying to think of the things that I hope to do. I really hope to, like really donate a lot of money um once i'm older like hopefully get to the point where i have a lot of ability to do such a thing but that's not really an experiment i mean i have had thoughts of like starting more of like a homestead type of lifestyle where like you know that i enjoy doing a lot of things um like self-sufficiently like i just it's not because i hate the man necessarily, but... Right, right, right. I just truly... You don't
0: want to be a prepper. You just want to live on the land.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I enjoy, like, doing things. Like, there's just so much satisfaction in, like, baking your own bread and and uh, showering with your own soap. And I don't know, like, you don't have to do those things. And a lot of people are like, well, just go to the store. Like, it's, it's a waste of time. But I don't know. I, I really find satisfaction in doing that. But I can see, like, I don't know, maybe one day, like, totally flipping an old house and having, like, a like a well-managed and well-kept property, you know, where it might have some, like, farm animals, you know, that sort of thing. But um, that would definitely be if, like, my wife is on board, too, and um, if it is, like, good for the well-being of my family. But uh, something like that would, like, really transform, like uh, like, a house or... Or maybe do it to multiple houses. But, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, other experiments that would, like, impress my grandchildren someday. I don't
0: know. Skydive without a parachute. You're
1: right. No, I wouldn't want to do that. Cordless
0: (laughs) bungee jumping.
1: (laughs) Not that either.
0: (laughs) Uh, Pick up a martial art. Get a black belt.
1: I I have, like, I mean, a lot of people are getting into jiu-jitsu. If it were less uh, costly, um, I would definitely want to do something like that because that's also something I'm, I've. I mean, I've done a few sessions of jiu-jitsu, but I've never been like a, a wrestler. I've never really like done stuff like that with my body before. That would be pretty sweet. Um, yeah, having some type of proficiency in in a martial art like jiu-jitsu. I'd like to be able to say I did something like that. I have, like, said stuff like even becoming proficient in another language, like, like another spoken language. I know I, I teach Latin, but maybe, like, picking up Italian, that's always been on the bucket list. But it's also some of these things is, like, oh, I don't know, like, how even though it would be cool, I don't know how much benefit that would add to my life, you know? Mm. Um,
0: so. Well, maybe a lot. You might be able to pick up Spanish and French just because you know Italian. It could be,
1: yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to think, like, with the... It's it's a hard it's a hard reality to confront. You know, like there's a lot of things I would like to do. Oh, for sure. Um, but I am limited, and that is a, that is a reality. So it's like, okay, what are the things that are most worth the rest of my life? Um, first comes to mind is like having having a wife and having a family and really nurturing um, nurturing them well and uh, doing my best to love them well. Um, so yeah, I, I think if at the end of the day, like, I just hope my, my grandkids would say that they are proud of the way that I've loved them, you know? So, might not be, like, a super flamboyant experiment, but, <laughs> but yeah, whatever it takes to, like, love those around me really well.
0: Honestly, I think that might be the best experiment because this is maybe my 34th interview that I've done with people, and 33 or thirty-four. And every single person has said that for age 100. Really? Every single person. uh, Yeah. I mean, I I could ask somebody uh, who wants to make a lot of money, and maybe they retire with $50 million. But honestly, that's not the most important thing to them. And I've interviewed athletes, and what accomplishments do you wish people would know you for for your brilliant athletic career? And they really just want to hold their spouse's hand and just be surrounded by children that love them. Mm-hmm. That's really kind of the ultimate thing. Mm-hmm. When they're 100 and looking back, the accomplishments sort of fade mm-hmm. just a little bit. I guess they're meaningful because they turn us into the person that we are and, and we should pursue them. Mm-hmm. But it's just no substitute for, for, I guess, treating other people with love and generosity.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is so true. We value good relationships more than...
0: Success, absolutely, yeah. because it's the ultimate success. Yeah, yeah. So, thank That's you, good. Tyler. This is fantastic. Your, yeah, thanks for
1: the conversation. I really appreciate it. it. wonderful.
0: Okay, great. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of Seemingly Ordinary. Here is a little bit of the conversation that Tyler and I had before. We actually recorded the episode. All I've been doing is recording. You were number thirty-four. Thirty-four. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on my quest to fifty, and then once I start getting above forty, I'm going to have to start thinking about things like, "Hey, what's this podcast called?" You know, right. I was thinking I could be wrong. Do you like that? I could be wrong. <laughs> yeah. I'll <laughs> <That'll> get people.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't listen to this guy. who could be wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. But I find myself saying that to people all the
2: time. Yeah.